really good coaches are difficult to find. Just ask an NFL franchise holder. They know a lot of good coaches are out there, right? But you always want that great one, right? That person knows how to cast a vision and get others involved. More than that, they seem to know how to fire that team up. Well, that's an ideal person for us to talk to on the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast. Are you ready to enjoy any of our episodes? Listen to what you need. You only need to be interested in others and want to grab some thoughts and wisdom about how others are being successful in radio right now. Welcome to the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast. What you are about to hear will be focused on lifting you up, giving good advice, hearing stories of an amazing radio pro, and uncovering the path forward in radio right now. My name is Lloyd Ford. I'm with Rainmaker Pathway Consulting Works. Our difference is we help treat your entire business programming and sales. We are branding specialists who help our clients fully develop the right position for their brand or brands in their local market for revenue. Coach local morning shows and other talents design and execute station architecture. We provide weekly music updates and even produce daily music logs if you need them. Provide excellent voice trackers, sales and promotional ideas that move the needle and more. It's unlikely you've ever worked with someone like RPC because we treat your whole business. We're confidential, market exclusive for radio, and we focus on helping our clients generate more revenue. Do you have a problem that gets in the way of that next level of ratings or revenue? Reach out anytime, F-O-R-D at RainmakerPathway.com. Our thanks to Joe Kelly for producing our podcast events and JustJoeProductions.com for creating our audio footprint and distributing them. Listen, we're like less than a minute away from talking with Steve Wexler. He is the leadership coach at Good Karma Brands. And boy, I think this is going to be fun for you. You can see our full guest calendar all the way into April now. We schedule ahead. And of course, you can find that on our free blog at RainmakerPathway.com. We don't lock away anything on our site the way some other consultants do. That's because we believe in this theory of abundance. Ask me about it sometimes. I'd be glad to share. So go to RainmakerPathway.com anytime. See what you can get free from our team. Steve, I'd like to welcome you to the Encouragers, the Radio Rally. How are you, sir? Lloyd, I'm great. Thanks for the invitation. And I love the fact that you lead off with sort of an encouraging tone and an encouraging note at a time when not everybody seems all that encouraging about our business. Well, you know, we're a big proponent of everybody getting on the same page and let's whoop everybody's butt with this great radio thing. So having said that, listen, we always kind of start here. How did radio happen to you? In other words, what was your first experience with radio? Well, I'm chuckling because my first experience with radio was I was smitten. I was a teenager and I could not believe that somebody was talking into a microphone and informing me, entertaining me, inspiring me from somewhere in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So I is I began my radio career as a listener who sort of fell in love with it and mm -hmm. You know, I'd call the shows. I was caller nine. Uh, I was the guy that would call the late night talk show and try to get help with my homework. I was just 14 or 15 years old. And 
I actually thought that my last name, W-E-X-L-E-R, looked kind of like call letters, right, Lloyd? So I created a little radio station in my room called W-E-X-L, We Excel in Music, and I tried to mimic some of the great radio stations that I heard in my hometown. And that was how I began my radio journey uh, at 15 years old. Dude, I love that. You had your own positioning statement, your own call letters. You had all your I own was thing. All I was missing was a great consultant like you to help me figure out what the heck I was trying to trying to do with it. But I, I didn't really oh. understand the business. I just knew that I uh, was inspired by it. And so uh, I would switch formats every hour. I would read the news. Oh. I'd read the weather. And then I would call the radio stations for advice on how to make my station sound better. Now, wait, wait. Did you think at that point, you did you think I'm going to go do this? So I didn't originally, but I will tell you very quickly that I kept practicing because I would try to mimic some of the things that I heard. And when I thought maybe I was good enough, <laughs> I got on my bicycle. I lived about six blocks from the big radio station in Milwaukee, WTMJ, uh, headquartered in Radio City, one of these big, iconic TV and radio buildings. And I rode my bicycle down there and I walked in the lobby and made my first cold call and asked the receptionist if I could be on the radio since I had been practicing. And she said, no, you can't be on the radio, but you can get coffee for the guy who is perhaps. And that's how I began my broadcast career. Oh, and any of us in radio know that you got your ticket right. You got it punched right in the door right there. Listen, you you literally started your radio career, if I'm correct, uh, before you started your real education, first as an on-air talent at WTMJ AM in Milwaukee. What were those days like for you? How did that all develop? It was the greatest learning experience that I We'll tell you, and I'm sure a lot of folks listening can relate to this. Um, I certainly was fortunate to be able to go to the station, beg my way in, get a chance to hang around. But if not for people who were willing to encourage, support, and teach me, I'm not sure what would have ever come of that. So I walked in. I was still in high school. And the afternoon host, a fellow named Jonathan Green, said, uh, so you want to hang around the radio station? I said, I really do. I want to learn this. And he said, can you be here every day at three o'clock to help me do the show? And I kind of fibbed because I had a seventh hour class at Shorewood High School. But I said, yeah, I could be here every day at three o'clock. And I figured out how to get out of my seventh hour class in time so that I could get down to the radio station. And I will tell you that being in uh, a radio station, especially one of that size and of that stature, I learned so much so quickly because I didn't understand the business, right, Lloyd? I just understood right. programming and music and news and personalities. And I remember running into uh, a young woman who said, uh, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I'm I'm an intern. I'm part of the programming department. I said, what do you do? And she said, I'm in sales. And I remember mm. looking at her and I said, sales? What do we sell? I had no idea. <laughs> and I there was that. First lesson, right, Lloyd, in, in what we're Absolutely. actually doing is how to marry content and commerce. No, wait a minute. Wait. I see, I actually would think that's the third lesson. Okay. So lesson number one, how to do a cold call. Yeah. So we got through that, yep. right? And we're now an unofficial intern. And then you end up going to your seventh class. You sold your way out of that class somehow. I did. 
I did. Lesson I, number two. I did. Now, and that was number two. That's true. Then lesson number three was figuring out, oh, wait, there's this sales thing. What, what are we selling? <laughs> Which I love, too. Yeah. And I tell you, it, it paid off, right? Because I hung around. Um, I decided I would be the curious guy, which is always one of my lessons that I talk to uh, the generation coming up. Stay curious, yes. whether you've been in the business for a minute or for 40 years. And lo and behold, one night I get a call from the program director at 11 o'clock at night who wants to know if I can go in and host the overnight show because the overnight disc jockey is homesick. And I leave my girlfriend's house at 11 o'clock at night. So much for that date and that romance. And I run off to the radio station to host the overnight show on WTMJ, which was my first on-air opportunity. By the way, there's another lesson in that. A, I was able to sell myself as an on-air personality with very little experience. And number two, that girlfriend today is Mrs. Wexler after all these years. Yeah. So I got, the girl, me? I got the girl and I got the job, Lloyd. Oh, you know, we're going to have to have a separate episode how to sell with Steve Wexler. Because, I mean, come on, you got a lot going on here. I'm going to ask you to talk about the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee and your time there. What did you think that experience would do for you at the time? And what do you think looking back at it now? So I don't think I made the most of it, to be absolutely candid with you. I was going to, I was working at WTMJ. I was taking every shift they would let me have. I flew in the traffic plane. I did the sports talk show. I did the fill-ins. I wouldn't leave the radio station. But I was going to school and I was in mass comm and I ended up leaving UWM 26 credits, I believe, shy of my undergrad because WTMJ offered me full-time work. So I enjoyed my time there. Looking back on it though, I don't think I made the most of that. And years later, uh, I went back uh, to school. To uh, don't skip ahead because okay. I'm going to cover that. I'm All right, cover I'm going to hold that one because that's an interesting uh, sort of dazzling detail on that story. Well, look, I think anybody who respects education, which I think already that you do because curiosity, right? You're an opportunist. There are lots of things that tie into that. Listen, you, here's where your story gets a little even more interesting. You spent time at Hearst. Okay, at W-I-S-N-A-M as a talent and then as a program director, did you figure out early that you wanted to manage talent? How did that happen? Yeah, I don't think I was quite that aware of what my goals were. I still thought I was going to be an on-air talent disc jockey. I enjoyed that. That's what I had sort of trained for and uh, was first sort of inspired by my general manager at the time one day said, Hey, I'm thinking maybe you should be the program director. And I said, well, why would I want to do that? And he said, well, you're sort of paying attention more than everybody else around here. So that qualifies you for management. <laughs> and it I thought, really does. Oh, if you just pay attention, maybe, maybe you should be a manager. And Ooh. I remember saying, Oh, okay, well, what's the program manager do? And he explained, managing the talent, being responsible for the content. I asked him if I get a raise. He said, no, but you get an office. I said, yes, great negotiation on my part. Um, so I think it was a little bit later, Lloyd, that I really understood why managing the talent, leading the people was going to become my calling. You know, this is a really interesting part of your story, too, because you didn't just stay there. 
what happened that caused you to move to Seattle, which had to be a little bit scary. And what was uh, KGW, AM and King F, uh, AM? What were those like for you? So there I am in Milwaukee. I'm programming WISN. We had flipped the station from, at that time, sort of a full service. Well, wait, that's your that's your first programming job. Correct. I mean, we're not Correct. talking about big time, blah, 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 you know. Yeah, yeah. I literally, uh, I was the afternoon talent. I become the program director. We decide we're going to flip it to uh, talk format. So this has to be 1989. And so I build this talk station in Milwaukee. And uh, I guess we call them a headhunter. A recruiter comes along and calls me one day. And I didn't even understand what a recruiter was. I get a call from a fella and he says, hey, uh, I understand that you're programming a radio station. You're building talk. Um, I'm working on a project uh, out in the Northwest. Would you be interested in talking to me about it? Lloyd, I thought he was talking about a school project. I had no idea what, what he was talking about until it became evident that he was recruiting for a program director. And I met him and he said, well, it's Portland, Oregon and Seattle, Washington. It's King Broadcasting. And they want to build a talk station from scratch, all local hosts, no network programming, 24 seven in Portland, Oregon. I had never been to That's Portland. That's pretty irresistible, right? It's unbelievable. And here I am a young programmer, thankfully, Mrs. Wexler says, yep, let's go. We have, let's see, at this time, we have one child, we have our daughter. And so we up and went uh, from our hometown and headed off to Portland, Oregon, and then Seattle, Washington. So you do all that time, you have those experiences, you build things from the ground up, and then you go back to Milwaukee. But then comes a new career, or at least it looks like a new career as VPGM in Tucson, Arizona, then senior VP GM in Omaha. Did you know early in your programming career that, you know, that was kind of not going to be enough that you wanted to go further up in management? Yeah, I figured more than an office, maybe I'd get a raise too, but um right. What, so no, wait I, a minute. Were you wait? Were you after the raise? We we got to answer that question. I was not. I I will tell you. I uh, I look back on my career. I can't yeah. think of a single opportunity I've had where the raise or the money was the motivator. I always believed that if I did good work and provided value, somebody would pay me, and right. that's turned out to be the case. So I've never been one to chase uh, the paycheck. I've you know, had opportunities that I suppose would have paid lots and lots of money. They just didn't uh, inspire me. And so I've never been one driven by that. Um, the financial rewards sort of followed the work in my view. Excellent. And, and look, who gave you the opportunity to become a GM for the first time? Who did that? Yeah. So when I got back to Milwaukee, so I'd been at King Broadcasting and then I get recruited to come back to my hometown, by the way, interestingly, the station that I had started at, right, as an intern, WTMG. Mm -hmm. And the general manager is, uh, uh, um, I'm the program director, the GM is a fellow named Carl Gardner. And Carl knows my story, knows where I began. He recruits me to come back home. To your question about knowing that maybe I wanted to take on a bigger job or a broader scope. So it was at that time at Journal that I started realizing that maybe, you know, leadership and running the business 
was a real turn on for me, that maybe I had some skills and some interest and that I could make more of a difference there. And Carl was one of those very influential people in my career who sat down with me and actually mentored me and said, well, <clears throat> what do we need to learn? I said, well, I've spent my career in programming. Um, how do I get exposed to sales? So I was the programmer who started going to the RAB conference instead of the NAB conference. I mm -hmm. was the programmer who ended up taking finance courses so that I could read a, a P&L, a profit and loss statement. And so he really was instrumental in helping me develop the skills. And one day he literally came to me and said, well, it's time. And I said, it's time for what? He said, it's time for you to take the GM job. I said, where am I going? And he said, you're going to Tucson, Arizona. And next thing you know, we packed up the kids again and off we went to the desert to manage the stations for journal in Tucson. Well, I'm trying to imagine how much you owe Mrs. Wexler. It's a lot. <laughs> yes. It's a, it's more than you can even imagine. Yeah. I mean, it's, you're in servitude forever. At this point. Well, and think okay. about it. We, we only got to Tucson, right? I've gone Milwaukee, Portland, oh, I know. Portland Seattle, I know. We've got Seattle Milwaukee, Milwaukee, so, Tucson. So, so let's do this. Let's talk about television because some people, I mean, surely a lot of people know this as part of your story, but right in the middle of things, you become the VP GM of WTMJ TV, TMJ AM, WLWKFM. What was the key to managing all of that? That seems like a lot of responsibility. Yeah, it sure was. And it was, I, I'm not sure that's the best job design now that I think about it. But at the time, we were trying to find ways to bring television and radio. Journal at the time had TV and radio assets. In many markets, there was TV and radio together. We were co-owned. And the idea was, could we go to market with a sales effort, a content effort, a branding effort that took the best of television and the best of radio. And so a number of our managers, including me, ended up overseeing TV and radio uh, assets at the same time. I will tell you, it was an incredible learning experience. Um, learned a lot about both the differences and the similarities and the challenges in those businesses. Um, mm -hmm. The secret or the, or the key was it's really not a secret, right? I think it's something we all know. Do we have a plan? Do we have a team of oh, really talented man. people? And do we have a culture that takes us to innovate, to take risks, to trust each other and to try things? So whether it's TV or radio, I do any business for that matter. If we've got a plan, if we have a team and we've built a positive culture, I actually believe that great results are, are inevitable. Uh, actually. I will go as far as to say this, especially because you added that fourth, um, you added that fourth chair, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, the, the fourth, um, Lord leg, you added the fourth leg, which is we have to be able to try things. So listen, uh, I think uh, success is the only potential outcome of what you just described. Yeah, I think you're right. And by the way, success might not be on the first swing. It might not be on the second swing, but if we're not willing to take some of those chances and be around people who will join us in that, I'm with you. I think it's uh, actually quite inevitable that we won't see success. Right. All right. So listen, you became the executive VP and then 
you just seem to take on more responsibilities overseeing, and, and correct me if I'm wrong about this, Milwaukee, Omaha, Boise, Wichita, Springfield, Knoxville, and Tucson. What gave you and really others the confidence for you to keep growing into these responsibilities? Yeah, it was about this time that the group had become fairly large and they asked me to run the division, run the radio group. And so all of a sudden, this kid who played a radio in his room is, you know, the head of the radio group. And my answer to your question goes like this. Fortunately, again, I had people around me who had enough confidence and trust and were willing to invest in me when I made my mistakes. Um, instead of throwing 15-yard penalty flags, uh, they sort of helped me dust myself off and figure out what went wrong and how to be smarter and better the next time around. And the analogy that I use is I think really good leaders will put people in a sport coat that's a size or maybe a size and a half too big, uh-huh. but, but they won't put you in a suit coat three sizes too big or four sizes too big because you look ridiculous, right? The sleeves are too long. The coat is hanging out. You walk into the room and people go, Lloyd, your coat looks ridiculous. It's way too big. The coat that my boss put me in when they put me in Tucson, when they put me in charge of the radio division was about a size too big. And my manager said, you'll grow into it. You'll, you'll beef up, you'll bulk up because you're going to learn things and grow. And one day that suit is going to fit perfectly well. And I remember saying, so when the suit fits really well, then what happens? And he said, I'm going to get you a bigger suit (laughs) because it never ends, right? Our learning and our growth should never end. So I don't know that I had a ton of confidence. I think I had enough to take it on, obviously, and enough courage to, to go for it. But I also had incredible and inspirational leaders around me who said, yeah, you're going to you're going to feel a little uncomfortable for a while until you develop your voice, your leadership. You get some results, you get some wins. And he was right. And we started to have some of those successes. And I will tell you, just about the time the suit coat started to fit pretty well. Sure enough, they gave me something else to do. You know, people talk about this all the time. I think they call it the imposter syndrome. You know, were you ever scared when they handed you one of these sports coats that was a size too big? Did you kind of go, I don't know. Can I do this? I tell you, when I, two very quick stories. One, when I went out to Tucson for my first general manager job, one of the pieces of advice I got was, hey, Wex, now that you're the GM, your words are going to carry more weight than you actually intend them to. And I said, what do you mean? It's just me. It's just Wex. It's just the kid who loves the business. And he said, yeah, it's you. But now you're VPGM, you and people are going to listen and give more weight to the things you say. And I thought, well, that's scary. Like, I don't know that I want people got much attention <laughs> to the things. Right. And I remember getting into my office, my new office in Tucson, and I made a comment about how I didn't care for the lighting. The lighting was kind of weird in the office. It fluorescence and and it just wasn't very pleasing. And I made a comment. I said, well, we're going to have to fix the lighting in here. Well, Lloyd, the next thing I know, the engineering department has dropped all of their big priority projects and they're in my office redoing the lighting in the ceiling. And I said, guys, what is going on? They said, hey, all we know is the new boss wants his lights fixed. And I thought, okay, my words are carrying a lot more weight than I intended them. So make sure you're thoughtful about your priorities. 
And I will tell you that when I was named head of the radio division, and the first time I sat in a board of directors meeting in front of the board of a publicly traded company, yeah, I had all kinds of imposter syndrome wondering if the kid from WEXL belonged in that room. What has happened to me? You must have been sitting there thinking, here I am with all this responsibility and these serious people, right? Yeah, serious people with big questions. And I tell you, it, it it's scary, but it's not paralyzing if you look around and you say, I've got really good people around me. This is not a solo effort, right? If you try to fly oh, right. one of these airplanes by yourself, you will surely crash it. So early on in my career, I knew that maybe I could help lead. Maybe I could grow as a leader, but that it was so critical that there were talented, smarter people in every discipline, whether it was sales or content or engineering or marketing and promotion or finance, because once you get that going, it's pretty hard to stop the train. I'm sure this is true about other industries, but I know for sure it's true about radio. It's the power of us. It's the power of we and what we can do. Now I get to do something really cool and loop back around and catch that education thing again. You also went to Bellevue University and uh, you didn't do this near the time of University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee. Why did you go? Why did I go back after all those years and finish my undergraduate degree? It was not my idea, Lloyd. Uh Oh, (laughs) so here I am, an executive in a publicly traded company running, you know, multi-million dollar assets across the country. And the board of directors, the board of directors says to the CEO of the company, hey, this Wexler guy, he seems to be doing a good job for us. But we don't like the fact that he doesn't have that box checked of having an undergraduate degree. He's the only executive we have in the company who doesn't at least have the undergrad degree. We really think he ought to go back to school and finish it up. So that's interesting. Isn't that amazing? So I get a call one day and it's the CEO and he goes, hey, I hate to ask you this because you're busy. You're raising a family. You've moved around the country but I need you to go back to school and finish your undergrad degree. So the next thing you know, I'm packing my lunch and going to Bellevue University in Omaha, Nebraska, every Saturday morning for, I think, five hours for 17 months. And I earned my BS in management, which I think is redundant, by the way, BS in management. But uh, got got my undergrad. I had to take some algebra that my kids helped me with because I wanted to make sure I graduated college before they did. And I finished up my undergrad degree in 2005 at Bellevue in Nebraska. You let your kids get old enough just to where they could help you win. Yes. Yes. It was all planned that way. That's nice. When you can plan like that, I mean, who can go wrong? Listen, uh, look, you kind of touched on the fact that you saw this and I'm sure that you did uh, when you're running TV and radio. What is the key difference between television and radio when it comes to revenue and securing revenue in local markets? Yeah, two big headlines I would offer. One is in TV, the brand, the content, the programming is very much out of your control other than local newscasts, maybe some 
limited local programming, and then the brand and the positioning that you develop. But for the most part, you're very dependent on networks, syndicators, other program providers for your content. Whereas in radio, usually we can create what we want to create. If we're building a great rock product, hopefully we research it and understand it and bring the market a great rock station. If we're building a personality talk station, it's under our control. TV is different in that much of the content is actually being created and provided by forces beyond your control. So that's one big difference. The other is, the, although TV has come a long way since, radio, there is much more emphasis on creative solutions to advertiser problems. And if we're really asking questions and we're really digging deep and understanding what our partners need, I've always thought that audio, radio, certainly digital, is so good at figuring out how to solve a problem. Television oftentimes was a very transactional business. How many spots do you want? <laughs> how much do you want to pay for them? In TV, oftentimes there are preemptions, and now I have make good weight that I owe an advertiser. So I found it more transactional, certainly, than radio. But I will give my television friends credit. I think they've realized that we're really in the solution business. We're not in the commercial business or the advertising business, really. We're in solving problem business. And so yes. how we can use our assets to solve problems, whether it's TV or digital or events or hospitality or audio or uh, promotions, man, if we can do that well, there's a place for us in broadcasting for years and years to come. I always, when I coach talent on the sales side, I always think, God, you know what? Everybody has problems. Like if you run a business, you have problems. Thank God those problems are generally things that we're in the solution business of fixing, right? Totally. Totally agree. So listen, you listen, you played a key role in both Journal Broadcast Group and EW Scripts Company. These companies are kind of renowned. How do the two companies compare? You had the experience. So Journal Broadcast Group during my formative years was employee owned. So privately held, employee owned, meaning we didn't get a free pass, but we could kind of chart our own course. There were no public shareholders. We could kind of build the culture and the timelines that our leaders expected. So there was certainly pressure to perform, but not being publicly traded is a really important factor for companies like Journal and, the, and then Scripps. So the Journal culture was definitely more of a longer term, um, you know, we can get there and we will get there. Journal had much more of a radio uh, sort of DNA because it began as a radio company and a newspaper company and then added television. Um, EW Scripps, very interesting because it has family ownership, but it is publicly traded. It's a public company. So coming into a publicly traded company where Wall Street is all of a sudden very interested in your results and your outcomes right. creates a very different dynamic. I found both companies to be incredibly good, thankfully, at being concerned with product and content and journalism and ethics and doing the right thing, which to me, that integrity piece is sort of non-negotiable, at least for me. If I can't start there, it's very hard for me to 
uh, endorse whatever else we might do. So there were some similarities in terms of journalism, content, ethics, and integrity, but the privately held versus publicly traded dynamic is different. And eventually it became apparent to me that as amazing a company as EW Scripps is, and it is, it's it's got capabilities and thought leaders that are amazing. Radio was not real. Radio sort of came along with the transaction when Journal and Scripps merged. And even though I was running the group, it was pretty clear to me that it was there was not going to be enough oxygen in the room for my radio division. Interesting. Well, listen, you have spent this career in radio and television. Which of the two do you think is preparing for the future better, uh, in your opinion? Ooh, you're going to make me pick one, huh? Well, I'm going to make a, I'm going to take a stab at it for sure. Because look, I'll just be honest with you. Not very long ago, we did a comparison of the two. And in many ways, they're traveling in different directions, meaning that radio is traveling in the less local direction. And television appears to be traveling in the more local information direction. Yeah. And this goes back to my point about content, because the cost of the content in television is so high, all the rest. And so a lot of the stations, either because of the numbers or maybe because of some content strategy, have realized that local news, local information, local talk, local personality is a much more, let's start with cost-effective way to run the business. But you also point out the other advantage. In a world of fragmented media, I'm a big believer that content that resonates locally is going to win. And the TV stations, maybe by necessity, have gone there. And even though I definitely am in the optimist club in terms of our business, my worry is that if we, as we've become much more scale oriented and, you know, when I hear people say, I'm going to leverage the assets of my organization, oh, yeah. look, I know what leverage the assets mean. They mean I'm going to fire a bunch of people and, you know, have one person do the job of 20. And my view is that that's, that's a dangerous path because we in radio have so much opportunity to create content that's ours, whether it's over the air, digital, podcasts, video. I yes. mean, we, we built brand new studios here in Milwaukee at our company. You walk into those studios, yeah, it looks like a radio studio, but it's a multimedia studio. It's got cameras, it's got switchers. I mean, it's got a little control room. So I'm hopeful that radio is paying attention, that all around us, people are investing in content that is relevant and compelling and monetizing it. And that if we become sort of the generic you can find it everywhere. There's an incredible sameness. Then we kind of only have ourselves to blame. I'm a big believer that the investment in the content is what's going to ultimately be what'll you know make us winners. Absolutely, and we can box ourselves out of our own business if we're not careful. Yeah, I I, I agree, and and we'd have nobody but ourselves uh, to blame. Now, look, the good news is we know how to do this. Um, you know, when I look around and say, where have all the interesting people gone? They're still out there, but maybe we've run a lot of them out. Of them. Some yes. of them are podcasting. Some of them are doing channels for Apple. Some of them are on YouTube. We've created all this amazing content. Radio needs to understand, in my view, that we're the ones that sort of figured that out a long time ago. And if we can reclaim that and be excited about that and invest in that and take some risks, 
there's no reasons why we can't continue to compete with all of those people in our local markets. Well, you're seeing a lot of good things here. So I want you to talk to us about Good Karma, your time there, and what you're doing now. And please go slow. I want to know where did that name Good Karma come from? <laughs> you know, uh, you're doing something really unique. I want to hear about it all. So Good Karma is the brainchild of Craig Karmazin, son of Mel Karmazin. And Craig created Good Karma in 1990. Five. Ooh, do I have that right? 95 or 97. I should know that because it says right on our logo, established, and there's the year, and now I can't think of it. Um, but Craig created a company that had sports, spoken word, localism, a very unique culture that's centered on our advertising partners, our teammates, and our fans. I didn't know much about Good Karma until I sold the Scripps radio division in 2018 to four different owners. I mentioned earlier that it was really time for radio to leave Scripps. And I was so fortunate that our CEO at Scripps uh, allowed me the honor, the privilege of being the one to sell my own kids, to sell my own group. Um, I knew that that time was going to come. And I was worried, Lloyd, that, you know, they would just do it. And um, I'd regret that. And so they, they let me lead the effort to sell the group. And so we sold the group to four different owners. In Milwaukee, the owner that emerged was Good Karma Brands or Good Karma Broadcasting. So that was my first uh, exposure to Craig, to his group, privately held, local investors in the Milwaukee marketplace. So all of a sudden, instead of Wall Street, um, I was only worried about Wisconsin Avenue. I was thinking maybe it was time for me to do something else at this point, or uh, I don't know, travel, go see my kids, grandkids. Craig invited me to stick around and run the stations that I started at. So these were the stations that I rode my bike to when I was 16 and 17 years old. They now keep dragging me back in. They dragged <laughs> me back in. And all of a sudden I'm sitting in the office, looking out the window at the spot where I put my bike when I was 16 years old. So oh, I've had wow. the good pleasure of running the stations that I cut my teeth at. I did that 2019 was my first full year. We had a pretty nice opening year to merge Good Karma and Scripps. Then of course the world changed, as you know, in 2020, and we all just kind of held on tight, right? And held on to each other and held on to our loved ones. That's one. a good descriptor right there. Right? We just held that's on. That's exactly right. And Good Karma hung. And in fact, Good Karma was amazing because we didn't lay people off. In fact, we launched a brand new brand, a black talk station in Milwaukee, right in the middle of the pandemic. We built a station from scratch, got a signal, hired a staff. So I spent four years running those stations. And in fall of last year, 2022, I really recognized in myself, and I think this is another good leadership lesson, that that managing job, that day-to-day -day steering the ship job is a really, really important job. It's got to be done, and it's got to be done with full energy and engagement. I had kind of, I didn't run out of steam for our business, but I definitely was not into that particular job. And I went to Craig, and Craig came to me, and we said, 
is this really where I ought to be spending my time and my energy in the day-to-day management job? And Craig was good enough to say, well, what is it you really want to be doing and what should you be doing? And we're a company that very much believes in playing people at their strengths. We spend right. very little time trying to fix your weaknesses. We spend a lot more time trying to put you in a spot where you can do what you do best every day. Pretty smart. I I, I agree. I think so. And I said, Craig, I'm a coach at heart. I want to coach leaders. I want to coach talent. I want to coach uh, markets. I want to be involved. But I the, the day-to-day work is is an important job for someone else. So I transitioned into this leadership coach uh, position for Good Karma, been at it for a few months. And I can tell you that all the joy and the hop in the step and the gleam in the eye have all returned for me. Bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. So listen, this might be the most important question for radio managers and radio as an entity to, uh, to have as a part of the dialogue in the 2020s. I call it meeting the market for the first time. Like when you take a job, when you fly into a market for the first time, you know what I'm talking about. So I do. I'm going to use these. I'm going to use this question, and then I'm just going to shut up and let you do it. Steve, what's your deal? What's my deal? By the way, that is an actual question that was asked of me in Boise, Idaho, of all places, by an engineer. By the way, the engineers always know what's going on. Ask the engineers. They know. They may not volunteer it right away, but trust me, they know. Engineer, after I came in on one of my very first meetings and heard my speech and my introduction, and I said, are there any questions? And the engineer raised his hand and he said, yeah, what's your deal? And I said, what do you mean? What's my deal? I, I didn't know if he was asking like what my compensation plan was or my bow. I didn't know what he was talking about. And he goes, no, you corporate guys come in and you say stuff. Just tell us what your deal is. And if we know what your deal is, we have a good chance of understanding it and executing it and winning. And I said, okay, here's the deal. I'm an and person, not an or person. I read those Jim Collins books a number of years ago, built to last and good to great. And in the Jim Collins books, he spends a lot of time talking about the word and. Jim Collins said, and I have found this to be true, my deal is building an appealing, sustainable culture where people want to do their best work, where they're excited to be part of your group, where they see the vision, they feel supported, they feel challenged. That culture building is not soft. It's incredibly important but it's just one part of the and equation. What Collins found, and I have found it to be true, is that the other side of the and equation is the accountability, the results, yes. the yes. ratings, or the revenue, or the cash flow, or however your company, or stock price, uh, if you're in a publicly traded company. Those metrics are not scary, they're liberating. So what I've tried to do, my deal is, I try to be an and leader, that stresses culture and results, culture and accountability. And I've worked in environments where either it's all about the culture and we eh, we don't really sweat the the results. Those companies get sold. They go out of business. They go away. Um, you make friends, but you're not going to build a career. I've also worked in places where all we cared about were the results. All we talked about were the numbers. Lloyd, where's the next dollar coming from? That's the only thing I'm interested in. I'll tell you what. The high performers don't want to work in that environment either because you might make a buck or two, 
but it'll burn you out and you get tired and discouraged and you leave. So my deal is let's all try to be and leaders. Let's try to create and organizations where we build amazing cultures and deliver incredible results. Here's where I get to say, you know why it's smart to host a podcast like the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast? It's because up until right now, I've always been an and person, but never been able to describe it in a sentence. And there it is. I love it. Thank you. I love it. Steve, I, I definitely want to thank you for being our guest today. Well, Lloyd, I had a blast. I mean, I, I love talking about this. And if I may, before we close up, I just love the fact that you and your group are dealing with these issues, talking to thought leaders, challenging the industry, but doing it with an eye toward what's possible. So congrats on your success. And I'm happy to be part of it today. You know, if you stick around me any amount of time, you will learn that I'm meant in the direction of what is possible. And radio for me has always been an excuse to do more, to to be that and. And where else can we go? And what else can we do? And how else can we help you? And so I, you're definitely an ideal person for us to have on this podcast for sure. Listen, uh, look. Get more free resources to help your sellers with our Encouraging Sales Success Series inside our free blog at RainmakerPathway.com anytime. We're here to encourage radio pros at all levels. Of course, anybody that you know in radio can subscribe anytime to the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast on Apple, Audible, Spotify, almost anywhere you get your podcast. You can listen to our episodes in our large and growing archives. We have almost 100 episodes now that you get instantaneously when you subscribe on your smartphone. And of course, I guarantee you're going to be encouraged every single time. You also are going to learn unexpected and valuable things like you have in this episode because of the value that comes from every single guest that we have. Remember, if you know somebody that you would like to hear as a guest on the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast, it's so easy to get involved. Just email me, F-O-R-D at RainmakerPathway.com. We hope you have a great week like we always say at rainmaker pathway and on the radio rally once you have a radio station you can get anything else you want if you have trouble understanding exactly what i mean by that please don't hesitate call me i'll be glad to share it with you it is my story we want to thank our very special guest on this podcast episode steve wexler who is this amazing coach from Good Karma. And I uh, want to thank you for being our patient and giving guest. A very special thank you to Joe Kelly for producing the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast, which should be available almost immediately so fast at doing this on our podcast. Of course, we're going to share it on a lot of social media as well. So people have immediate access to it. And thank you to JustJoeProductions.com for creating our audio footprint and distributing the podcast. Please do share the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast with others that you know are interested in growing their careers in audio and radio. And of course, as always, they can subscribe for free on Apple, Audible, Spotify, almost anywhere you get your podcast. If you don't remember anything else, from this episode, sorry, Steve, remember, be kinder than you have to be. Thank you for being a part of the Radio Rally with the Encouragers, and good night.